oh yes how if you added this or like take this away then it would sort of be like a macaroni and cheese and he goes and if my grandmother had the wheels then she would be a bike and he's like what well, what are you are saying there's nothing to do <laughs> and he's oh, just that's getting, amazing like, Welcome back to Remember Listen Guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, the characters and everything else that comes to mind. I'm a Mutastic. And I'm a Snowfox. And today we are going to do another character analysis episode and we are going to talk about two more of the knights who are Elian and Percival. I'm sorry, that's Sir Elian and Sir Percival to you. And for this, we have a guest who is Moss. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> hi. We are very excited to have more people on for these little sections because it's always great to have people who are really enthusiastic about at least one of these characters that we are talking about. And before we go into all of that and hear more about Moss, let's quickly have some news. The biggest news today is, of course, Tumblr's ban of visual nudity where genitals or women's nipples can be seen. In the wake of this, fandom would like to remind everyone that the following discords exist. Albion, and the other one, the Rising Sun, which are two general Merlin discords. The King's Chambers, a strictly Mirtha top and dom author with bottom and sub Merlin discord. And our own Discord for Merlison, where you can join if you're listening to this podcast, enjoying this podcast, and want to talk to other people who listen and enjoy this podcast. As always, you can join the Merlin chat on Chatsy to keep in touch with friends and other fans as well. This is, by the way, where the weekly Merlin rewatch is being held. It's currently ongoing. They're in the second half of the first season at the moment, and rewatches are usually on Friday evenings, according to U.S. American time zones. Trakion has also started a Merthyr Circle on Dreamwith that you can join. As an additional resource, one of the Merlin fans is creating a spreadsheet in Google Docs where all Merlin fans on Tumblr can add their own social media URLs and information so that in case of sudden Tumblr implosion, we'll be able to find each other again. This spreadsheet will be linked in this episode's post as soon as we have the actual link. And now for some actual Merlin news. Winter Nights is open for submission. If you've created something for the fest, you can start submitting it now. You can post either directly to LiveJournal or the AO3 collection. Please keep the entries coming as the mods hope to be able to share submissions throughout all of December. Also, if you hadn't signed up yet, you can contact the mods if you want to submit something late. They'll be able to figure out a date for you by which you have to submit your fan work. Archie Pendragon is hosting a Merthyr Kiss Fest on their life journal. All types of fan works appear to be welcome, as long as modern authors are kissing in some way. And last but not least, the Pendragons, our local Arwen shippers, and the Merlin rare pair swap have banded together to host a winter-themed rare pair fic marathon and exchange. Write the ficlets now, no sign-ups necessary, posting happens in January. Then, artists can sign up and be paired with a ficlet or more for which they create some art. That art will be posted in February. For more information and a longer explanation with the detailed schedule, check out Pendragons and Co. Winter Holidays on Tumblr. And that has been it for news. 
we will now commence with the usual program in which we will uh, do some talkbacks. And our first comment that we want to react to today comes from Archaeologist D. Hi, Diane. <laughs> I swear to God, one day she will stop listening to us just because <laughs> you keep saying her name like that. Donna says her name exactly like that. I didn't make this up. I know, but it's but Donna just speaks like this. You do it on purpose. You change the way you speak. I'm a social chameleon. I can't help it. Oh, God. Diane, okay. please forgive us. We love you. <laughs> anyway, Diane uh, reacted to... Uh, our episode in which we talked about how the legends were uh, adapted for this TV show. And I think Rox has a lot to say to what Diane had to say. You know, it's just, it's just, it's actually a normal amount for me. <laughs> I um, mean, you, you say about as much to Diane as Diane said to us. <laughs> I feel like it's only fair, you know, so, um, so she's written here because so we were talking about the subject of Christianity and how it's a huge deal in the Arthurian legends and very much not even remotely mentioned in Merlin. And Diane said, OK, I was happy that Christianity wasn't mentioned at all in the show. I know that Arthurian legend is rife with it, but the passing mention of the old religion versus the new was good enough. It would have been brought. Sorry. It would have brought a vastly different take by bringing up religion, especially Christianity, into it and created controversy with the show, with the viewers and the BBC. I certainly would have looked at it differently. I think most of the TV slash movies for Arthurian legend already deal with Christianity. This was a refreshing change. And I basically was kind of like, I agree with her that they didn't need to have religion in the show. But my point was is that if they didn't want to use religion in the show, then they shouldn't have used religion in the show. But they literally use the word religion all the time. <laughs> and they use the word old religion all the time, which begs the question of if there was an old religion, there must be a new religion, <laughs> unless we are living in a fantastical era of Arthurian legend in which this is a secular society. <laughs> but I don't really think that it is. And so... I just feel like when this kind of stuff happens, there's a bit of world building missing that irks me because I'm like, well, you're clearly not mentioning it because it's a kid's show. But then it makes me like it, it takes me out of it because it makes me feel like you're doing it on purpose and it doesn't feel organic. If you had like even having like Pavement has a chapel, like you could literally just have had the couple of weddings that we saw take place in the chapel rather than in the great hall and you and there's your reference to christianity it doesn't need to be as explicit as it is on tv shows where people are you know praying and religion is a huge part of the narrative of the story um but also basically what also frustrates me about the use of religion in merlin is that they use the word old religion to refer to magical things and uther saying i destroyed the old religion long ago which makes us believe that you need to follow the old religion in order to learn, to know magic, which obviously isn't the case because Merlin doesn't know anything about religion. He just has magic. Morgana doesn't know anything about religion. She just has magic. So, like, I get where Ruth is coming from, that, like, druids are part of the old religion and they practice magic, but you don't actually, like, that's not necessarily the case. Sorcerers in Merlin can have magic without following the religion. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I agree. Uh, 
<laughs> For fuck's sake, Momo. One of these days. One of these days. I I was gonna I was gonna say say more. I just wanted to see if Moss has anything to say first. Um, I agree with the archaeologist D because um, I mean I don't really feel the need. Uh, for more we're building, I mean, even going to the chapel for the weddings doesn't seem necessary. But I've always been confused by um, the fact that uh, the old religion says there is a goddess and then magic is real. So does that mean that the real goddess that exists in that world is the goddess of the ancient? ancient religion because uh, magic exists and the, the new religion is supposed to be against magic so uh, that's the only thing uh, that always confused me and I'm not sure I explained myself well <laughs> no, no, no no you did I was just waiting for Momo to say something okay. <laughs> no I'm um, I don't have anything to say to to that I would just say something, something else. So if if you want to say anything to that, Rox, now is your chance. Um, no, but I completely agree with you, Moss. Like that, I I don't think that the show needed Christianity. I just think because it brought up, like you said, that like priestesses and like you know goddesses and things like that, that it didn't actually explain what that meant for the new era or the religion quote unquote that Uther and Arthur and Morgana are are following or not following or whatever I think had they just had people practice magic and not mentioned religion at all it would have been better than mentioning yes uh, yeah yeah Yeah, that's probably yes yeah and and I I absolutely agree with that I think that I mean I suppose they could make an argument for you know Arthurian legends being something that most people will know and that most people will know that Christianity is implied but then it only gets weirder that you don't see any any proof of that like you don't see you don't see churches you don't see crucifixes anywhere you just you have literally like not even just author you know sitting down to pray before battle or something like if you if you well, want when uh, Uther died, yeah, died. some and the funerals and... are all Vikings funerals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, it just, it absolutely. The only person who didn't get a Viking funeral are apparently uh 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 Golois, uh, like Morgana's father, mm. because he has a he has a great like he has a tomb at least. Yeah, that's something oh, yes. that, that they they visit. And Tom uh, Gwen's father, yeah. he's yeah. also father. buried. And I'm just like so. So who gets the Viking burial because all the knights have been burned <laughs> and and just I forgot what they did with Uther. Did they also burn Uther? No, he's buried, isn't he? Is he buried? He, well, I don't. Uh, well, he was laid out. I guess we never saw what happened to his body. But there, there you go. I think it's just. I mean, I think the. Um... They put it in a tomb of some sort because there was like a statue. So maybe mm. the statue was above his corpse. I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. Just, so yeah, I I agree that you know if they wanted to omit Christianity completely, which honestly is hard to do with the Arthurian <laughs> legends, um, 
they shouldn't have had any references to any religions at all. And yeah. I th- I think that their their use of like old religion and all of that comes very much from um the mists of Avalon. Because every time they say old religion, I just flash back <laughs> to Mists of Avalon, where, yeah. this, where this gets mentioned, where it's like literally old religion and new religion, and this gets uh, discussed. Or exactly. Game, Game of Thrones is also old religion and new religion, I think. And, mm-hmm. it's, and I'm just like, please, you can't, like, like you always say, Rox, you can't have it both ways. Either do it right or don't do it at all. Yeah, and it's just uh, like, I've been... I've been listening to a podcast recently that was uh, recommended to us by Tori. Hi, Tori. Um, the podcast is called Myths and Legends, and uh, it's a podcast where uh, the the host has also taken on the task of telling the Arthurian legend bit by bit. And it's just Christianity plays such a big role in this the entire time. Like, And to take it out of the Arthurian narrative for BBC's Merlin is a bold choice, but obviously it can be done, but then you really have to commit to it and just keep religion out of it entirely because yeah. either either do it or don't. Exactly. But also, I, like, for me personally, I find religion very interesting. And that's not just because I am a Christian. It's just I find everything about it interesting. And I think you can do it without making the whole show about it. Like, um, I love Robin Hood and Robin Hood came out before Merlin did and it wasn't as successful, but it ran for three seasons and it was very popular on TV while it was on. And obviously you can't really tell Robin Hood without talking about the Crusades because it's literally like, like the reason like, why yeah, King Richard is in the Crusades. <laughs> it's a, like, you can't really omit it. And in the show, they did it really well. They, it was actually quite educational and really fantastic because you had, um, you know, uh, these guys talking about how, you know, this place, you know, it's for all religions. And, you know, we're not, you know, we don't have to fight. And, you know, you had uh, Christians and you had Muslims and you had all different religions in the show. And it was really wonderful. But it was still a show that kids could watch. Like, it was really great. And, like, I'm not saying that we needed that in Merlin, but you could have just done something different like in legend of the seeker they had a whole different religion where they don't talk about a god they talk about a creator like the creator made all of this and we worship the creator and and it's actually a woman like it's not a man so like if you wanted to do something but i just i sometimes feel like yeah because this is a fantastical show but it's still based on such real quote-unquote things omitting it entirely was a very bold move and i don't know if they did it well (laughs) it's honestly like you said it would have taken only a small effort to actually show christianity in the show like just weddings and chapels occasionally seeing a character pray uh for for someone's health or for success in battle you could have before any of the big battles you could have had a scene of a priest blessing weapons before they go off to war. And one very uh, big thing that they could have done, and I'm honestly, I'm not sure how much that would have changed the, the actual narrative of the show as we know it, but one thing that I noticed now that I've listened to this, to this podcast is um, they have the character of the Fisher King with his... Uh, trident, this golden trident or whatever it is, 
in the in the legends, at least the version that uh, is told in the in the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the Fisher King and his family who are supposed to protect the Spear of Destiny, that spear that I just mentioned, and um, it's uh, one of the knights uses it to injure the Fisher King in self-defense. And then takes the spear, like takes the spear from the Fisher King's uh, how, uh, castle and injures the Fisher King with it, and that's what plunges the entire country into doom. Now, if Arthur had gone on his quest to retrieve the spear of destiny rather than the trident and bring it back to Camelot, I mean that could have had repercussions, and and the show could have dealt with those, for example. Mm. And, and um, they also have shrines. And they have shrines. And like, yeah, and it's just, there were opportunities there. And it's just that, I mean, I realized that if that had been a plot point, everything that came after it would have been different, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, But it's just someone, someone made the decision to ignore the fact that Christianity is a thing in the Arthurian legends, but then make references to other religions. And I just... Like Rock said, I'm not sure that actually worked all that well. Like, I probably didn't mind so much while I was first watching the show, and probably even not while I was re-watching the show, but now that I keep thinking about it, <laughs> as with everything else, <laughs> I just... Yeah, it's just yeah. something I'm like, that's that's actually a pretty big plot hole right there. Sorry, Moss, that we actually kind of just... I just feel like we took your point and just disagreed all over uh, it. So sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Um, no, but I completely do see what you're saying. And I think what we're basically getting at is that it wasn't necessary. Like religion did not have to be in the show, but if it didn't have to be in the show, then don't have Druid shrines, don't have Druid religious ceremonies and don't have gods and goddesses and priests and priestesses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. Um so to just to whiz through the rest of Archie's comment. Um she says, As for Welsh people being mysterious, I think I made this comment. Yes, you um, did. <laughs> yes. I would say that Wales is very mysterious. I love their country with hidden valleys and creaky peaks and it's so beautiful. Love hiking there. And I've only been to Wales once and I can completely agree. Even going out into like the fields is feels mysterious. And I think but it was because at the time I had just gotten into the Merlin fandom and my connection to Wales was kind of like thinking about Arthurian legend and Merlin being out there somewhere and it just gave it that extra kind of spooky feeling. But I can also tell you that, and this is not in Wales, but any kind of Arthurian sites feel very spooky to me, like Stonehenge, for example. Um, when I went there, I can't tell you how eerie it felt. And it was a beautiful sunny day and it was so eerie but that i mean but um my dad who has no connection to Merlin, <laughs> like he even he was like do you know what it, it felt haunting it felt like a cathartic I, experience you know why um, you know why that is it's because these stones were stolen from ireland by merlin <laughs> i learned that from the miss legends podcast <laughs> um and then uh we have a wreck from archd saying the mary stewart books are amazing crystal cave hollow hills the last enchantment the wicked day <clears throat> which is the name of an episode <laughs> um notice that the showrunners use two of the titles in their episodes wicked day treats mordred kindly until the end and i felt like how they treated mordred in the show was somewhat taken from this book i actually have all three of these 
uh, no, I don't have all four of them. I apologize. I have the first three. I, I wasn't aware of the fourth one until uh, relatively recently, and I still need to read them. And I know that when Colin was on the show, he talked quite favorably of them when he was asked in interviews. Because, of course, if you're in an Arthurian legend show, you're going to be asked, what's your favorite Arthurian legend? Yes. So they all probably read a couple, and uh, he always spoke about them. Have either of you read the Crystal Cave trilogy? Nope. Uh, or no. Quadrilogy? No? No. Sorry. There you go. I'm I'm very behind on reading any Arthurian-related material. I just want to quickly, before we go to the to the other comment that we want to discuss, I quickly want to finish my shout out to this to this podcast because I had meant to actually give a shout out to this podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) It's a day of tangents and other things. I just want to say that, like I said, the Myths and Legends podcast is really good. The the host does a lot of research and sits down and actually reads through several source materials for Arthurian legends to come up with the most coherent uh, storyline for these things that make sense with regards to what he's already told and what's happening in the next part of the story. So this uh, the host puts a lot of effort and time and work into this and um, acknowledges constantly that there are very different sources and uh versions of these stories because obviously the authorian legends we've been saying this you know every every author whoever tells them uh changes something or rearranges things or leaves out christianity but keeps in references to the old religion (laughs) all of these things you know and so this this host uh he tries to to come up with the most coherent plotline possible and i really really am upset with myself for not discovering this podcast earlier because i could have had so much more to say about the characters that we already talked about but also this this very specific episode when we talked about the legends and uh, i just want to tell you guys to to go listen to it it's not like it's not one big episode or like uh, a series of episodes that all come one after the other like he will do one plot point for one, two, three, one or three episodes, and then he will tell other stories, and then he'll come back to the Arthurian legends. But you can definitely like just download all the episodes of for the Arthurian legends and be busy for a couple of hours listening to that. I I have been this this last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can listen to this on iTunes, on Spotify, probably a bunch of other places, and it's been running for over three years now and yeah it's it's really really great to listen to thanks again to tori for recommending it it's it's really awesome all right let's let's get to our second comment before uh before we completely lose track of everything (laughs) cool so our second comment was from all of us with wings and it was on our lancelot and gwen shipping episode and they've said Um, I've always liked the idea of Gwen and Lancelot as a couple, but since they have such little screen time, I never really shipped them. That and because my OTP for the series is Arwen. And I commented saying that it's just such an interesting combination because you so... I mean, obviously it's not unheard of because, like, you know, we OTP for Merthyr, but we also... Like, you know, we still ship, like, you know, Merwain. And I like I ship Armour and I ship Merwain. So, like, it's not unheard of that, like, you know, you can side ship things that aren't um necessarily part of your otp but like i've never heard of an arwen shipper who at least otps for arwen that 
like has any affinity for Lance and Quinn. So it's really cool. Like, and I didn't like, and I'm really kind of excited by that. And I didn't think that that was a thing. So that's really awesome. Uh, because they've said this episode has given me a whole new appreciation and love for them, which I'm really excited about because <laughs> I love them. Um, and then they said, I think what especially sold me on them is when Rox was talking about them being such incredible forces for good. And I just can't explain how much I adore that. I absolutely love characters and ships like that. And Gwen and Lancelot fit the trope so well. And, you know, I just kind of feel like, yeah, totally. <laughs> they, they, they are just kind of the ultimate, like, like forces for good power couple. Um, and I just feel that they actually have a really similar outlook on life um and they have this optimism for like for the world that the i don't think any of the other characters have and i think the only reason why lancelot is crushed a lot sooner than gwen's is because of kind of what he's bit like gwen has been through a lot but i feel like with lancelot kind of you know like she has you know stumbling blocks throughout her life um like in the early seasons but I feel like Lancelot really does just lose everything and then he builds himself back up and then loses everything and then builds himself back up and then dies and it's like you know um how much more can the guy take <laughs> and then dies and then, and then comes back and, and dies then... again <laughs> So I feel like we can maybe uh, forgive him for not being uh, the glasses half full kind of guy. (laughs) I mean, for him, maybe the glass is like nearly full. Maybe not having his whole family murdered in front of him and having his knighthood stripped of him would make him a glass half full kind of guy. But Gwen obviously is very optimistic and continues to be so until the rest of her days. Obviously, we don't know how... Uh, the Battle of Camlan actually affected her. I'm sure, it, you know, um, if we, if what we know of her is true, she probably soldiered through it as I mean, she does. I mean, just uh, I just rewatched Diamond of the Day Part Two like yesterday, I think, and she is. I mean, she is, you know, sad that Arthur is gone, but at the same time, she is she's very composed and she she takes strength from knowing that a merlin is by arthur's side b merlin is a powerful sorcerer on their side <laughs> <laughs> and she quite literally uh you know soldiers on and and takes her duty as to to be queen and to run the kingdom very seriously yeah. So, you know, it's just obviously she does grieve and she is upset because she's Gwen and she feels things. Um, but at the same time, she is very aware of what her duties are. Funnily enough, more than Arthur. <laughs> oh, shut, 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 shut. <laughs> like, I'm just, it's just it's coming to me as I'm saying this. Oh, Gwen God. is much more aware of what her duty as queen is and what she has to do more than Arthur ever did. Fucking show. But yeah, um, <laughs> welcome to my lesson, guys. Um, <laughs> Our tagline is fuck the show. <laughs> um, all of us with wings had this to conclude. <laughs> <their comment. laughs> 
even just thinking of a modern AU of them being super kind and good and being domestic just fills me with fluff and warmth. Thank you for introducing me to a new ship. And I'm very happy that you like them. And I mean, I think even Momo that really doesn't like them, I think you don't mind them so much in AUs where they're just being like domestic and stuff because there's really not much you can dislike about them just being domestic and stuff in the background yeah no it's just fine exactly it's i i 100% like them more in modern au's yeah than in canon au's or canon fakes uh although it does depend on how lancelot is characterized like this it all of my enjoyment of this ship, or at least my indifference towards this ship, is dependent on how Lancelot is characterized, let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so I'm just really happy that we got a comment about Lancelot and Gwen, so I'm really, really happy about that. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about them. Uh, uh, Moss, do you have anything to add about Lancelot and Gwen, or about anything else that we've talked about for at length? <laughs> um... I can see the ship, but I don't really ship it myself. But yeah. I'm like, do what I what you want. Uh, I I can see it in the show, but uh, I'm not big on infidelity. So the whole uh, plot line where uh, Gwen's uh, sort of betrays Arthur is like a big no for me. So if you want to do Lancelot and Gwen, you can do it, but not if you are doing uh, the whole infidelity thing. that's a big no for me yeah so that's all the talkbacks done and so much time spent talking on them even though there's just two but you know we we love you know interacting with you guys so if you want to be featured on the podcast and talk to us about melissa then you have so many places in which you can do it you can post a comment to melissa at paracaproductions.com you could there just type Marlison into Google and the website should come up. There you go. And leave a comment where you found this podcast. Or you can leave us a rating and comment on iTunes. You can listen to us on there now as well, which is awesome for those of you that are on the go and everything. You can leave us a comment in the Tumblr tags by reblogging the post where you found this podcast or in the actual body of the post or send us an ask. We'll read all of those. You can tweet us at Merlison. We'll also be looking at that. Or you can comment on our Discord channel. There's a dedicated channel for episode reactions. So if you want the invite link, come and talk to us about what you've been listening to. And now Momo will tell you the email address because <laughs> I don't know it. Yes, our, <laughs> our email address is and hopefully forever shall be merlison.podcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. So comment away. We will look forward to hearing your feedback. Ah, so Momo, take it away to <laughs> Moss's introduction. Finally, the poor thing has been waiting to <laughs> talk about herself. <laughs> yes. So Moss, since you're your guest on this podcast for the first time, of course, we want to know more about you before we finally delve into the actual topic of this episode after like two hours of recording and uh so tell us when did you discover merlin where did you watch it how did you find fandom and what do you do in fandom okay i'm uh, moss mx on tumblr and uh, dylan mx on live journal and dreamwit and uh, i started watching merlin when it first aired but uh, in Italy, so it was like a few months after it aired uh, in the UK. 
and uh, I saw the commercials on television and uh, I was like, mm, this, this looks cool. <laughs> so I started watching and uh, after the first episode, I went, I was in uh, high school. I went back to my first lesson and uh, my friend was like, did you see it? And <laughs> we were like fangirling a lot. <laughs> so um, from the start, I had like uh, my classmates, I convinced convinced them like five of them to watch Merlin so we had like class discussions about it but uh, uh, I started going uh, on the internet on live journal uh, around 2008 also uh, because uh, we had an Italian community about fan fictions and um, I talk about uh, talked about uh, Merlin with some people and uh, there was a lot of uh, Mertur fans but uh, I didn't start uh, creating anything until the show ended because I don't know maybe I was so traumatized that I was like I need to create something to fix it <laughs> so I started doing uh, um, big bangs and uh, other I'm an artist so I draw fan art and I used to do Mertur stuff, but now I mostly draw Per Wayne. So if, if you ship Per Wayne or you like Percival Wayne and the Knights, I'm like, come to my, uh, my <laughs> Tumblr and there's something for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for telling us about yourself. And everybody, please go check out Moss MX on Tumblr for their awesome Merlin art. Great. So now we can actually talk about the boys, the boys being today Elion and Percival. So I did my my Wikipedia research about Elion and Percival in the Legends. And the reason why I listen to this podcast, the one that I keep mentioning today, uh, is because I had hoped that they would come up. But so far... They haven't come up. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to several oh. hours of this podcast in the hopes of hearing something about Elion and Percival that I didn't know yet from from Wikipedia research, and nothing came up. But it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just go through what I know. So Elion is actually in the legends as Elion the White, which the irony. Is <laughs> Lol. <laughs> I mean, um, there is in in the legends or like in the, in the sources. I say sources on Wikipedia. Um, there is no indication as to why he received this epithet of being the white. But with everything else in the legends, I would assume that it's to describe his purity or innocence or his goodness or something like that. Like, uh, white keeps coming up as the color of purity and and stuff so maybe it's it was a nicer way of saying alien the virgin i don't know makes sense alien the untouched um so like <laughs> what i could think about you uh i was thinking so is a virgin now canonically <laughs> uh, wow I'm... did we ever see him with a woman other than his sister, and she doesn't count. <laughs> Unless you're rocks and like incest. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Listen, I haven't made this joke in a long time. I needed to bring it back for this episode. 
I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Elian in the legends was the son of Sir Bors and Princess Claire. And Claire actually tricked Bors into sleeping with her with the help of a magic ring. And is sometimes uh, said, like, Claire is sometimes said to be the only uh, woman Bors ever broke his vows of chastity for. And I'm just, I'm just getting really tired of the Arthurian legends being full of people who trick other people into sleeping <laughs> with them. This just keeps happening over and over. And uh, Elian is the cousin of Lancelot. And he is accepted as a knight of the round table, of course. And he was one of the people who helped Lancelot and Guinevere after their affair is exposed. And he even joins Lancelot in exile. So I I feel like this fandom should have some Elian and Lancelot fix, honestly. And according to the Lancelot Grail cycle, uh, Elian became emperor of Constantinople. Oh. So, wow. High position for Elian. And that's pretty much all there is about Elian um, from the legends. And, like, there's literally, there's one paragraph on Wikipedia about him that is part of a larger article about the Knights of the Round Table. Like, Elian doesn't even have his own his own Wikipedia entry. It's just a paragraph. <laughs> and I, honestly, I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit, but this is this is basically how BBC's Elian gets treated in fandom. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Percival, meanwhile, was invented by Chrétien, Chrétien de Troyes. And the first story he shows up in is Percival and the Holy Grail. It's from the 12th century. And then there are other stories about this boy. For example, Eschenbach's Parzival, Mallory's Le Mort d'Arthur, and the Boren's Lost story Percival and again there are many many ways in which people interpret how Percival was actually born this one is according to Boron so he's either the son of Hélène Le Gros Hélène Le Gros so either he's the son of Le Gros or he's the son of King Pelennor or he's the son of another worthy knight but I think King Pelennor is the is the version that is the the most persistent one. Like that's the one that comes up in the podcast at the very least. His mother remains unnamed, but plays an important role in the stories. Apparently, his sister is the one who bears the Holy Grail, and I can't tell if bears means she carries it in her hands or she gives birth to it. And honestly, at this point, I don't want to know. In the stories in which King Pelinor is his father, Percival has brothers by the names of Aglovale, Lamorak, and Dornar. I'm trying to remember which story was at Lamorak. Like, there's a there's a fic in which Lamorak plays a part, and I'm trying to remember which one it is. I'm sure it will come to me eventually. And because his father had an affair with a peasant, Percival also has a half-brother named Thor. Not to be confused with Thor, God of Thunder. No, it's Tor, just T O R. <laughs> if you're Irish, though, they're pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Tor. It would be an interesting crossover. I mean, <laughs> the 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 fun part is that Tor in German either means gate, or 
fool. I'm just, this is just, I love this. Etymology is fun. Um, his mother takes him to the forest after his father dies and raises him ignorant of the ways of men until Percival is 15. And then a group of knights tramples through the forest and Percival thinks they all look very heroic and decides to become a knight himself. So he leaves the forest and travels to Arthur's court because Percival knows nothing, but he knows that Arthur is important and he goes to his court, apparently. <laughs> and then in some stories, his mother faints from shock when she realizes Percival has gone, which, to be fair, I would probably do too if my teenager just ran away from home without leaving a note. <laughs> So he proves himself worthy, and then he's knighted and joins the Knights of the Round Table. And in the earlier stories, in uh, Chrétien's versions, Percival meets the injured and disabled Fisher King and sees a grail that he doesn't know is the Holy Grail. And then Percival fails to heal the Fisher King, which is bad, because I mentioned this earlier, the Fisher King... Uh, was injured by another knight with the Spear of Destiny. And not only was he injured, he was stabbed in the groin. Which, <gasps> yikes! <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that brought ruin upon the entire kingdom. And Percival, by not using, like, A, not recognizing the Grail for what it is, and B, not using it to heal the Fisher King, continues to keep the kingdom plunged in in despair. So then he finds out about this mistake, but it's too late, and he vows to find the Holy Grail to undo uh, his mistake and to bring prosperity back to the to the kingdom. And then the story breaks off. <laughs> it's literally like in Merlin, <laughs> where Percival rides off <laughs> to find Morgana. Okay, I will never complain about that again. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> In later versions, Percival is replaced by Galahad, Lancelot's son, as the knight who finds the grail. And instead, Percival is sort of, you know, pushed into the role of best man because he and Sir Bors are the only ones to accompany Galahad on his quest to find the grail. And Percival doesn't really have a love interest except in, I think, one version in which he has a love interest and her name is Blanche Fleur, which literally means white flower. So, again, with the fucking purity. And in other versions, he just remains a virgin who dies after finding the grail. So, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah, so much for, for Percival in the legends. Okay, so, the boys on the show. Rox, do you have anything to say about this? <laughs> um yeah i mean okay look i just feel that uh <laughs> i was really excited when elian was introduced in the promo for castle Ethereum because i thought this is actually really cool like we've never had a a sibling relationship on this show like where they're you know full siblings and they actually know their siblings and they're growing up together um, and I quite like the kind of long lost brother trope, although I just I just get really pissed off in shows where sibling like 
something kind of happens that has apparently been known all along and i know you've kind of put this in your notes Momo, that like has been known all along to the characters in the show but because the writers didn't think of it until later it doesn't actually come out it's like why hasn't gwen mentioned eliane before why like why why hasn't like leon mentioned eliane before if gwen grew up in the household like you know like he would have known about him why did yeah why didn't tom Gwen's father ever mentioned <laughs> Elian. Where was Elian when Tom was on trial? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's really yeah. frustrating. There are, there, there are many, there are many questions I have about Elian. Honestly, <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, I also have many questions about Percival, but I also have many questions about Elian. He just doesn't yeah. have a personality for me. Like he's yeah. he's actually one of the blandest characters in Merlin. I think like Percival, like. I could, he may not have like really anything to do in the show in terms of like lines and interaction and stuff, but I can at least tell you that like his character trait is that he's strong. <laughs> like and I can't tell you anything about Elian. You, you can also you can also well you can say about Percival that he's strong and kind. Yeah, because he takes care yeah. of like because I would assume that he is very much aware of how big he is. Um. He he makes sure to to look after people who are shorter, smaller, weaker than him. Yeah, is um, like the gentle giant trope uh, is yeah saving yeah, children definitely. and uh, being big. So- <laughs> Sometimes I think that was invented for him. <laughs> Isn't there a gift of him running? Um, oh God, I don't remember what episode it's in. If it's in one of the darkest hours, but he's like. Everyone else is like one kid, and he's got three. Three, <laughs> yes. Like yes. amazing. Or like, I think there's a bit in Darkest Hour Part One where they're looking for the boys, and they're trying to fend off the Duroka, and they're moving as a group. And I don't know why Lancelot has the the torch, but Lancelot has the torch, and I think it's Percival that's just like Lancelot's just holding it, and Percival's just like like moving him back and forth, <laughs> like. To- <laughs> and uh, like, but 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 that's what I'm saying, like. Percival has nothing to do on this show, but from what we have, like, I'm smiling because I'm like, oh, that is, yeah, he is the one that will, like, take three kids at once and run with them to keep them from danger. And he's the one that will, you know, make sure that all the small people are taken care of. And he'll be the one that, and and again, you put this in your notes, sorry, that will carry Merlin to safety because the others aren't strong enough to carry him that far. And little things like that can really make a difference. And I just feel like they didn't give Eliane any positive thing or just anything mm-hmm. at all because i mean yeah they, they did there are like moments where elian shows that he's smart like they come like and in, in the first episode he's in the castle of Firion in season three um he hasn't seen his sister in four years okay they sit together in this dungeon cell and gwen tells him that uh, she's uh, supposed to bring Arthur to to the castle of Firion. And Elian is like, which Arthur? <laughs> and she was like, what do you think, Prince Arthur? And then Elian immediately clocks on to the fact that Prince Arthur must have a thing for his sister, because why else would he do this? Like, Elian... I'm going to cut in here, because, <laughs> because by that extension... Gwen must be Einstein because it's funny how Gwen literally mentions Arthur's name and he knows that they're soulmates. 
I think there's like other instances in which this happens. But yeah, that was just kind of, you know, because that was obviously quite an Owen-centric episode as well. But I, but I can see what you mean. But he's like, oh, yeah, it seems things have changed for you, Gwyneth. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, okay, Eliane, well done. Um, <laughs> but I feel like there's... um. There's I, also yeah sorry go for it I, I just want I just want to uh, finish this. There's also uh, moments where he shows you know just uh, uses his position to back up others. Like once he's knighted, for example, in uh, uh, when they reach that village and this village elder is like, we need a physician, not a boy. Oh, Lamia. And El- El- is it Lamia? Yeah, then yeah, then it's Lamia. Sorry. Oh yeah, I only started the the watched the beginning of that, and then everybody <laughs> went out of character. Was like, I don't have to, I don't have to watch the rest of this because none of them behave like they normally would. Um, but he's the one who's like, his name is Merlin. Yeah. Like he uses his position as knight to back up Merlin's claim that Merlin can actually help or at least make an assessment. So. Um, I I like that little bit of characterization oh, for Alien. Also, I think uh, Alien is like the um, spokesman for the other knights because, like in um, his father's son, when the Arthur has to pick a champion, it's uh, Alien that goes. I mean, the other knights are there too, but uh, it's Alien that acts like. Uh, yeah, he he starts. Yeah, he he starts off with the whole, uh, we will support you, we will yes. follow you, and so on. And, yeah, uh, I think uh, he does that like in another episode. I can't recall, but so I mean, uh, yes, he doesn't have one particular um, character trait. Uh, so it's like um, whatever they need, uh, they use him. And uh, mm-hmm. while Percival has a more defined uh, trope, uh, and so it's easier to also yeah. to write him. I mean, if you have to write a lion, you have to go from zero, while Percival, you have at least uh, some traits. And also there are some scenes of Percival and Gwen being uh, uh, friends and uh, like when they steal from the kitchen. So, you know, Percival yeah. is not that but- serious. But you have you also have like scenes between Elian and and other knights like one on one, where I feel like this could also be like in 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 the beginning especially Percival and Elian are actually much more linked. Like I feel like Percival and Elian oh, yes. have almost as many scenes together as Gwen and Percival do, at least until. Elian, I mean, died. they might have had more if Elian hadn't died. Yes. <laughs> like, I feel like after Elian's death is when Percival turns more towards Gwen. Before that, I think he was probably as close with Elian as he was with Gwen. Because, for example, when they um, think in Sword in the Stone, when it's Elian, Gwen, and Gaius in a dungeon cell, and then they they come to, like, Arthur and the others come to free them, like, uh, Elian immediately, uh, Percival immediately goes yes, for Elian yes. rather than Gwen, for example, to check whether Elian is okay. You know, where yeah. I'm like, okay, there's definitely potentially. But the thing is that Elian, I mean, Elian has sort of two and a half episodes about him or where he's a central character. We have Castle of Fyrian in which he's introduced. Um, yes. There is. 
the episode in season four, Herald of a New Age, and then uh, the Dark Tower also has relatively, like, relatively a lot of alien content. But the thing is, except for Dark Tower, these other two episodes aren't actually about alien. Mm-hmm. In the first one, in Castle Firion, he is used as a device to get Arthur to the Castle of Firion through Gwen and her worry for Elian. <laughs> and the second time, Herald of New Age, Elian is a device to take revenge on Arthur for killing a bunch of druids. Yes. So it's these episodes, Elian plays a big part, but he's it's not actually about him in any way. And that just upsets me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in uh, Herald of the New Age, uh, he's, like, brainwashed, uh, and uh, it's, he's trying to kill Arthur, so it's it doesn't feel very good to watch if you like him. Yeah, and it's just... Huh, I don't know. But I have other questions about Elian. <laughs> like, in Castle of Firion, Mogos says that Morgana told them where Elian is. Or, or Senrit says it. Someone says that M- Morgana told them where Elian would be. And I'm just like, how the fuck did Morgana know? Oh, I know. Yeah. I just, yeah. Well, think it, about it. It When, you know, okay. If we, did she have a vision or what? No, well, because if we are to suggest, uh, to think that obviously Gwen has known about Elian all this time, but we <laughs> haven't heard about it because the writers didn't think of it. It makes complete sense that Gwen would talk to Morgana about Elian. And maybe yes, I mean that that's the only that's the only explanation I can. But in season three, at this point, wasn't Gwen already suspicious of Morgana? Yeah, but maybe Elian was in the same place all this time, and Gwen just wasn't like like they just weren't on speaking okay, terms. Fair. You know? fair, because I think Elian said that he had a forge there, so it it would stand to reason that he's been there a while. Okay, fair enough. Still, it's just like. Okay. But that wasn't we're... actually made clear. You have to kind no, of No, that wasn't that, that wasn't made clear, but that's that's what I would have assumed as well that Gwen probably mentioned him to Morgana at one point, at least once. Um my question number 2 is when exactly did the writers decide that Gwen wasn't an only child? <laughs> was it at the same time that they decided Morgana would be Arthur's half-sister? <laughs> because that's a season 3 thing. Uh... <laughs> I'm honestly just fatigued. I can't <laughs> just by all of this. Like, wh- when did this get decided? When does this get decided? I'm just. It's like... just like it's mentioned in in his first episode that he has been gone for four years, which means he conveniently left just before the show actually started. And I'm just, why wasn't he? I mean, obviously, I know why he wasn't mentioned. In season one, because the writers hadn't thought of of him yet, <laughs> but it's just it doesn't make sense that if he left that that close to the show's beginning, that Gwen wouldn't talk about him at least to Morgana once or to Tom. Even without like uh, his mention, I think we rewatching season one is actually quite interesting because you see. If he left shortly before season one, you know, you see Gwen taking on this really maternal responsibility. And we know that she, well, it's mentioned that she helped raise Elian, But obviously, with all the stuff that's happening in 
to kill the king and all that kind of stuff with her father working harder to try and provide for them you know maybe Eliana was contributing to the household in some way and then when he fucked off like they were kind of left you know very poor (laughs) and it's like you know maybe that kind of makes you know gives a bit more um kind of context maybe to why tom you know felt the need to you know work with Torin, even though he didn't know it was about sorcery because you know maybe they had it a little bit better while elian was there and then all of a sudden you know gwen's making food that's that doesn't have as much meat in it that you know they're having to scrimp and save so i don't know maybe no but, but just in context you know like obviously yeah, that's I not know, in canon just, but it's 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 still grasping its straws to explain his absence yeah. uh, to 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 you know make sense of it after the fact. Oh, but we're not gonna make sense of it because he wasn't in because he wasn't uh, even I know. They, 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 in they the imagination of season one. I know, I know. It's just yeah, it's it's just stuff that bothers me. <laughs> what bothers me more is like I I can appreciate that obviously he would never be mentioned in season one and two. Um, what pisses me off though is that. If you're writing a season, you must know what your episodes are going to be about. Like, at least the season you're writing about. So why not just give a couple of Easter eggs leading up to episode seven? That's my question. Like, why not have a couple of, like, like, I don't know, maybe... Or even, like, maybe, maybe Elian tries to get in touch with Gwen and we see her hiding a letter, like from merlin or from morgana and maybe she leaves the letter in morgana's chambers and morgana reads it and then she knows where elian is like why can't you just like sow the seeds don't just drop stuff in an episode and then it has ah that's like that's what annoys me is like just try and actually integrate things i get you can't go back and rewrite the seasons you've already done but you can make things a bit more integrated into the narrative just with a couple of things like that just yeah i'm just trying to remember what um if there were any arwen things happening prior to episode seven where it could have been mentioned that arthur would have to ask elian for gwen's hand in marriage because obviously tom isn't around anymore Mm. But that would be, and because Elian is supposedly Gwen's older brother, yeah, it would it would fall to Elian to be the one to give permission for Gwen to marry Arthur. Which honestly, it would just be a formality, but Arthur would yeah. still have to go through it. But well, it's just, yeah, it could and... have been something like that. Mm. Well, I mean, know? in theory, that could have happened um, in uh, the Changeling because that was about marriage, and obviously at the end of the episode he mentions how he uh, for, you know would have forsaken elena for someone equally as lovely or something so if that was an a more extended scene um you know yeah. that that might have um that might have worked or just have it in that episode somewhere because obviously it's about getting married <laughs> so yeah. makes sense but yeah it's just it's very frustrating and i just i don't understand like m- m- look maybe it's just the case that back then episodic narratives were just the fashion and now they're clearly not like we wouldn't we would not tolerate this kind of stuff now but it's just like 
I don't understand why why <laughs> it's done. Yeah. 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 Uh I want to point out uh as for for Elian and his and his loyalties. Like I feel like one of the things you can say about Elian that he is loyal to Arthur and the other knights, but I will also say that Elian is not very loyal to Gwen. And this is the thing that that irks me the most is that especially now that I've read about Elian the white from the legends who goes so far as to follow Lancelot into exile because Lancelot is his cousin and he's loyal to him. Meanwhile, Elian on the show didn't even see his sister off after she was banished from Camelot. And I mean, let's not get into the argument about whether Gwen's banishment was the right move or not. Uh, because that's that's not the question here. But like now that she has been banished from Camelot, the very least Elian could have done is say goodbye or accompany her to wherever it is she is going until he knows she's safe. Like I can't believe that Arthur would not have let him go, especially since Arthur already sort of regretted banishing her in the first place right after he did it like i just i, I rewatched the ending of of that episode for to to look for elian and he isn't there the only time he's there at the end is when gwen gets uh brought before for arthur just after after the kiss with uh shade lancelot and then arthur sends everyone away including elian because he sends everyone away so he can can talk to Gwen in in private and it's just you don't see Elian at all until the end of that episode and it's just it baffles me that the writers made this decision to not ha to not have Elian around at all after Gwen's uh <clears throat> betrayal quote unquote you know it's uh we we know what we what we think about this but um it's just I I don't understand this decision at all, and it makes it turns Elian into a very bad brother, um, and that just annoys me because I feel like with with his return to Camelot in season three, uh, I feel like it was implied that Elian was going to turn over a leaf and and be a better person. Like Gwen mentions in Castle of Fyrian that Elian has a knack for getting into bad situations and to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and that it's not not necessarily always his fault for getting into trouble and i feel like it was implied that with him coming to camelot this would change like he he lived in gwen's house or well their, their father's house presumably and i would assume he probably ran the forge although that's not ever actually mentioned ever um, and then he is, then he's knighted at the end of, uh, season three. And I'm just, um, so presumably he changed his ways and he's now making an effort to not get into trouble anymore. And I just, I don't understand why they, they turned him into a person who would not care about his sister's banishment, especially, you know, when you look at how he talks about her in Dark Tower when they go looking for Gwen after she's been kidnapped by Morgana. He blames himself for her being 
for her being kidnapped. He talks to Arthur about how Gwen was the one who raised him and, and how much she means to him. And I'm just like, really? Does she? <laughs> because you didn't care when she was dragging a cart full of her things by herself out of Camelot. I can only imagine that the reason for that was simply to try and keep the story as focused as possible because they wanted to make it a story about Arthur, Gwen and Lancelot. And we didn't even have a scene in which Lan- like in which Merlin found out that it was an enchantment and he's the protagonist. So we're not going to have a scene in which Elian, a side character, comforts Gwen because we and also we wanted to feel as bad for her as possible. It's yeah, but that's just garbage writing. Oh, yeah, because I think it's, it's absolute garbage writing because it it makes me think that Elian doesn't care about his sister one bit yeah. and actually cares more about Arthur's dude feelings than his sister <laughs> well there is a uh, a very kind of well there's a scene in uh a servant of two masters when merlin is uh being um uh assassin merlin where arthur's getting changed and he's trying to decide who could be the spy um in his you know in his court and he says maybe it's elian perhaps he's concerned about my relationship with guinevere and the thing is, is that I don't know why Arthur would have come up with that if there wasn't some basis for like, you know, people don't like people get paranoid about stuff that gives them reason to be paranoid. Right. Like maybe he saw I mean, and it doesn't always have to be true, but maybe Elian wasn't necessarily um, uh, for whatever reason. Maybe he he had doubts or maybe he would make a comment and Arthur mistook it. But I'm thinking if it's the case that maybe he just was feeling unsure about this, maybe he wasn't doing anything about it because he kind of thought that it like this relationship wasn't for the best. Like, I don't know. I'm just grasping at straws but then, here. But then it, it still doesn't explain why he wasn't there to see her off to help her. Like if, if he was against the relationship between Gwen and Arthur, why does he not support Gwen after she is banished yeah. from Camelot. Like, that yes. that just, it doesn't make sense. Hard, and yeah. Sorry, M- Moss, you were going to say something, weren't you? No, yeah, I mean, I think it's just uh, bad writing, and it's completely out of character, especially when we see how he acts uh, in the Dark Tower. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, he would have at least followed when, uh, and, uh, I mean, they could have shown uh, that he keeps um, maybe some letters or that he still talks to her because uh, from what we've shown, it looks like uh, he is not even talking to her after the betrayal. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it I wasn't mean, very good in my opinion. The only time it ever gets mentioned that Elian might potentially be upset about his sister's banishment is in the next episode, Herald of a New Age, when he's possessed by the Druid boy and and being very quiet and acting out of character. And everyone is like, well, maybe that's because his sister got banished. But it's still not, you know, not mentioned that that he's actually upset about this for for having lost his sister. It's just... Mm -hmm. If you can read anything into into that, and then also we know that that's not the reason why he's behaving weirdly in that episode. We, as an audience, we know why he's behaving weirdly in that episode. It's just, ah, uh, it just that's 
that's the thing about his character development on the show that bothers me the absolute most, apart from him being a plot device anytime he actually gets center stage in an episode. It's just... uh... Also, I think uh, from an... uh, In the Dark Tower, we have a lot of Elian interactions with other characters, but it looks like they are only doing it so we feel bad for his death. So, I mean, mm-hmm. also in the beginning is uh, riding and uh, seeing his father's grave with um, with Gwen and uh, they talk with uh, Gwen and Gwen. But, uh, I mean, I was feeling like, okay, something bad is going to happen to Wayne because there's too much time on him. <laughs> this is um, so yeah. hilarious because it is so it's like it's, it's a... It's like putting a red shirt on an extra in Star yes. Trek, the original <laughs> series. Oh my god. I mean, you know, it's just, if you think about it, apart from probably Gwen and Lancelot, Elian is the is the knight who got the most screen time, who was, like, I mean, Leon has a lot of screen time, but Leon doesn't really have an episode centered around him. If you don't count him being revived by the Cup of Life, which... Like, he was revived by the Cup of Life, and that was literally all his role in it. And and there wasn't anything else about him specifically in those episodes. What are you talking about? Leon's the protagonist. He doesn't need an episode all alone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the show is about Leon. Rupert, get out of this podcast! <laughs> and it's just, it's just baffling that Elian, like Gwen and Lancelot, gets episodes that are seemingly about him. But in Elliot's case, they are not actually about him. If I may, that's kind of a similar fate that his sister shares, so it seems appropriate <laughs> Appropriate because she has episodes yeah. that are seemingly going to be about her to kill the king, the castle of Firion, the Dark Tower, and they yeah. end up being about Morgana. So, you know, kind of seems like, yeah, they're definitely related. <laughs> oh my god it, though, but it's, it's, just... uh, it's yeah it is stupid i i don't know if this is like this is uh maybe a bad impression i get from him but i in the coming of arthur part one and the coming of arthur part two um there's uh you know he's the citadel's been taken and he's hiding in gwen's house and then he um you know is uh very very like you know skittish when they come and you know look for Gwen and then later on you have a scene uh when they're in the dungeons and they're fighting for their lives and Elian's kind of like sitting in the corner and then he finally like after Arthur you know gives the big kind of like speech like you know we'll go down fighting he gets up and starts to fight and it gave me this really weird sinking feeling that they were trying to portray him as some kind of coward like especially in those two episodes like where he's like skulking in the dark and he's like I did not get that expression, uh, that that impression at all. No. To be honest, no, me no. neither. I didn't, I didn't think that at all. I think that in when they find him in Gwen's house, it's implied that I mean, yes, he was hiding, but he wasn't hiding because he was a coward. He was just well hiding out of self-defense, basically. And I mean, he does have he does have a weapon in his hand when they find him. He's ready to attack, and only it doesn't attack. Because, A, apparently he has good reflexes. Mm. Because for whatever he's been doing for the last four years, he probably 
pulled an Inigo Montoya in the meantime and also practiced sword fighting all this time and is able to stop himself when he sees its author and um then later on he uh, he's just yeah i i didn't read that into it at all to be right. honest i think it's just because when you look at what the other characters are doing in that episode like you know all all the knights um i mean obviously i doubt morgana would really take much much uh, much interest in in Elian, but like all the knights are kind of rounded up and they're kind of stood there and you know you know giving their speeches of patriotism and whatever and gwen is you know infiltrating you know but but Morgana uh, and stuff Elian, Elian is the is the second one to declare his loyalty yeah. to Arthur when they're sitting in this little stone yeah. table in in wherever they are Elian, like the first one is Lancelot and, and Elian is the second one to declare his loyalty to Arthur and that he's going to fight for him yeah yeah that's true that's true I like and, and I'm not saying it's yeah. right I'm just saying it's like a weird impression that I got and obviously okay. he's not a coward because he ends up being a knight and like that's clearly not what he is but I just think it was weird the way that they for me in those two episodes how everyone else was shown to be kind of quote unquote on the front line fighting against Morgana and then the first time we see Elian he's kind of like skulking in the dark hiding and I was like okay fine okay that's okay whatever but um, mm. it was just I think that they just didn't know what to do with him he was just kind of there and like oh hang on we've kind of used this plot device now he's in Camelot shit what are we gonna do <laughs> we just have to kind of use him now which is such a shame yeah one impression I got uh, instead in that episode was that is um, not his um, loyalty to Arthur is uh, because of Gwen because I mean Arthur and Elian interact but not as much as Leon or Gwen for instance so I mean mm. uh, when he pledges his, allig- his uh, alliance uh, he, I think it feels because he trusts Arthur but because of Gwen yeah so, I mean that was yeah my impression i feel like their relationship grows after arthur marries gwen like i feel like in season five arthur relies on elian more than he did uh yes. in, in season four mm-hmm. for example it definitely like he uh elian was the one he sent to look for gwen and percival at the beginning of season five for example i feel like um Elian definitely becomes more of an advisor or or ally, closer friend to to Arthur once Gwen is actually queen. So makes sense, and it's kind yes, of like it definitely you know, makes sense. It's it's actually weird in a way that he wasn't given even higher status, um, yeah. which would have happened like in a normal um like monarch you know royal society would have been like you know a duke or something incredibly important like that but yeah that did that 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 didn't happen and he's not even he's not even really referred to as like the queen's brother or anything is he he's just he's just elliot he's yeah (laughs) it's a knight on it's it's honestly they are apart from castle of Firion, and then when elian is in in gwen's house and then after, like, in Herald of New Age, when it's mentioned that, you know, Gwen was banished and maybe Elian is upset about this. Like, these, and then, and again, in the Dark Tower, like, I feel like these are the only four instances that it's actually mentioned or made obvious 
that Elian and Gwen are related. Like, everything else is just... Like, Elian, once he's knighted, which he is, right, at, like, right with everyone else in, at the end of season three. <laughs> like, everyone gets knighted at the end of season Except three. Except for Merlin. <laughs> Except for Merlin. He moves into the castle. He gets nice rooms and pr presumably a servant in the castle. Meanwhile, Gwen is still living in the lower town and has to do everything for herself. <laughs> Even though she is sort of betrothed to Arthur at this point. <laughs> Season 4 is confusing. We have already established this. <laughs> What's his nature of their relationship? <laughs> it's just it's just Elian and Gwen the only reason you would think or would remember that they are related is because once in a blue moon, the writers remember that, oh yeah, that is a plot point. Maybe we should use it. And because they happen to be the only two black protagonists. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'm just... What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think it was a ball that they really dropped. Like, they should have they should have used him. And yeah, he was there to try and help enhance Gwen's character growth and in the end they just didn't give him anything to actually do and it was so annoying oh. yeah yeah okay let's let's move on to percival a little oh, bit wait i have one last yes. thing because yeah. wait you don't want to talk about percival <laughs> no, i want to but... <laughs> okay what, what what's it you gonna say we're gonna because, say um, alien is the one person who survives the natair and that yeah. pisses me off so much because, I mean, I'm happy that he survived that, but why did they have to kill Gwen then with listen, the thing? Listen, listen. <laughs> so, I mean, Gwen, Gwen isn't dead. Is, exactly. So, I mean, uh, that makes it canon that Gwen is alive. Gwen <laughs> 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 is fine. I just, <laughs> I mean, this is something that I think, um, I didn't really realize I needed until we're kind of talking about this right now, but I just feel like the whole um, dynamic of the knights was really shit, like really bad. Like, and I, you know, when you look at other shows or books or movies that have like this kind of pack of characters that are supposed to be really close to one another and then you look at Merlin and you have the Knights of Camelot and even when they have scenes together I'm just like there's nothing there that makes me go like oh my god squad goals like and that's how I should feel when I look at them like and I don't really feel that from them I just feel like they're kind of an afterthought and even when they're together like I don't feel like they're like, they could live without one another. I feel it with other characters. Like, you know, I definitely feel um, the connection between other people. I I just feel like they're, the way they wrote them as a group, um, and obviously, that you know, they're mostly all together in season five, and they were focused on other things. Like, they were focused on Mordred and stuff. And I feel like with the introduction of Mordred, they did try to make it more about the knights, kind of, a little bit, but it was... Not really. you know, Destiny. I mean, you have yeah. you have you have scenes in season four and then five where it's about you know the knights teasing each other or singling one of them out to tease. Like in Herald of the New Age, the only reason why Elian drinks from from the well at the shrine is because in a scene before that, the other knights were teasing him and not giving him the the water skin to drink from. 
Like that's that that's an entire scene of all the knights teasing Ilion. And then you have obviously in uh that episode I forgot which one it is, uh where all the knights band together to tease Merlin yes. uh with with the food and then in season five you have all of them banding together to tease Mordred. Yeah. So that that's that's their prime dynamic, but like you like you said, Rox, um, you don't really get the feeling that these knights all would die for each other and and would do everything for for each other. I'm just like I get this with single dynamics, like I I would get this from Percival and Gwen maybe, and I would maybe get this from Percival and Elian. Honestly, I would probably even like get it from Elian and Gwen based on their interaction in the Herald of a New Age. Mm. But it's just as a group, I don't really I don't no. really get this I don't really get this feeling either. Okay. But we are here to talk about Percival. Yes. <laughs> right now. Finally Moth is like, my time has come <laughs> I really yes. love him. I mean what Percival and Tom are like I mean at first at first glance you're like mm, Nice biceps, but then uh, <laughs> because that's that's literally all you see. <laughs> Shirtless or sleeveless. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, this is just yeah. So he gets introduced at the end of season three. He's already wearing chainmail without sleeves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like, like he brought his like. <laughs> Punchline. <laughs> he, he brought his own chainmail and it doesn't have sleeves. Which, to be honest, when he shows up, I can understand because, um, I mean, this is only mentioned in a deleted scene. It's not like there. There's a deleted scene of them entering, uh, the castle through the tunnels. And also, this is funny. Um, I mentioned earlier, like, uh, the the Princess Bride reference with Elian and being the one to study the sword. And um, then uh, being being really good at sword fighting, and he even mentions like uh, practice makes perfect or something like that. So you have Iniga Montoya in in Elian, and then in this deleted scene, Percival literally like Leon is trying to to ra- run in a door with his like ram it open with his shoulder, and Percival just makes him step aside and kicks it open. <laughs> I have such a flashback to Andre the Giant as Fetzig oh. and the Princess Bride doing the same thing for Inigo Montoya. <laughs> it's just like this is literally Percival's role on it's, his show. But this open is such doors. a. <laughs> but like, don't you feel like Percival? Like, and obviously, we know this isn't the case because obviously, you know, you have these little background moments where he really, like, you can see he's a sweet person. But I feel like the outward portrayal of Percival, without looking at those background moments, he is kind of a bit of a punchline because he's the, like he's he's yeah. he's the strong guy, and oh my god, look, he's got big arms and the, and he has no sleeves yeah. on his chainmail, and oh, yeah. he's shirtless, and he has no lines, and like you know, even like. Even in the most dramatic scene of like the finale where he's going to try and save Gwen's life and he takes those ropes and just pulls at them <laughs> until he looks like he's gonna pass. Out. 
And then, and, and obviously the scene with the three kids that he, like, he runs with the three kids and then he has to readjust them in his arms so they won't slip down. So he just, like, throws them up a little bit to make sure he gets a better grip on them. And listen, I love this man with all my heart, honestly, especially because he's the embodiment of Tor. Um, but it's just, please, why... Why did they do this to you? And like I was going to say, I can sort of understand why at the beginning when he enters the the scenery, he his his chainmail looks the way it looks because Percival comes from nothing. Like it's mentioned in this deleted scene that Senred's men raided and killed the village where Percival lived. So I would assume that Percival got this chainmail from a soul from another knight that he killed probably or that was killed and he had to make do with what wasn't like nobody is his size like literally no <laughs> one is his size so the best he could do was just rip rip off the sleeves and make it like rip it open in the middle and buckle it to his body what i don't understand is that why once he is in camelot <laughs> no one made the man at a, a, a set of chainmail that would actually fit him. I mean, I have a theory because oh, please share. Uh, there, <laughs> there has to be someone that gives them their uniforms. But I mean, if you saw Percival, you would be like, no, okay, you can stay half naked. <laughs> so like, I refuse <laughs> to give you a regular chainmail. <laughs> okay, but but this is okay. Um, fair point. But also, this is literally the gripe I have with every single video game in which women don't get proper uh. <laughs> armor just because it makes them sexier. And I just, like, I am all for seeing Percival's big arms. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just, like Rock said, it's just a big punchline. It's just, it's, yeah. it makes him look ridiculous, <laughs> to be honest. It makes him look absolutely ridiculous and i i just it makes no sense why he why he wouldn't have chainmail with sleeves on them because he's not actually invincible except he is one of the two knights who's, uh two and a half because Wayne never died but yeah. he's one of the two knights who officially survived canon it's him and it's leon yeah. every other knight is you know dead <laughs> Or Gwen, who's asleep. <laughs> what would we have wanted for Percival? Like, if he had, like, a standalone story, like, what would you think that we would like for him in an <sighs> ideal world? I mean, it's difficult because his claim to fame in the Legends is the Holy Grail quest, whether mm. as, as the main protagonist or as Galahad's uh, company. So that's that's difficult, mm. honestly. Yeah, I don't know, like who, like what character you could pair him with to give him like a standalone story. Because actually, funnily enough, Percival is the only knight I would say that doesn't really like isn't Merlin's bestie. Like he doesn't really have a connection to Merlin. So maybe giving him a connection to Merlin would have been the way they could have like made a really interesting episode because obviously Merlin's the protagonist and that kind of stuff. But yeah, maybe yeah. just giving him a standalone story with one of the other knights or or even Arthur because I feel like Arthur just knights him. Like, you know, Elian, you know, he, you know, he he has 
Gwen, so Arthur's, you know, gonna... Listen, listen, the thing about Percival and his knighting is hilarious to me because Percival shows up with Lancelot. Um, They could have given him and Lancelot more of a story, but then, of course, they killed off Lancelot right at the start of season four, so there wasn't really time for that. Um, But uh, Percival shows up with Lancelot. Lancelot gives, in the deleted scene... Not in actual aired canon, but in a deleted scene, gives Merlin the explanation of, well, he he heard that I was going to fight with Arthur against Senred, and so he demanded to come along <laughs> and participate. <laughs> so that that's apparently the reason why uh, Percival is immediately super loyal to Arthur because <laughs> the enemy. <laughs> Well, if you, we have a common enemy, so you must be my friend, basically. And I'm just like this, this confused. Like, if you don't have that background of this deleted scene, it's literally Percival shows up with Lancelot, takes a look at Arthur. Arthur, frankly, leers at <laughs> Percival. You have to just, just look at the way Arthur looks Percival up and down with a smirk on his face. And don't tell me Arthur Pendragon, King of Camelot, in that moment. Oh, he's not yet King of Camelot. But Crown Prince of Camelot, in that moment, doesn't think big piece of yum. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would argue probably thinks... (laughs) He does! He looks at him and was like, I want to climb you like a tree. (laughs) We both know that that Percival is not Arthur's type, okay? <laughs> he is, oh, he so is. He's so... I, I honestly... Arthur is like... um, He's like, call me Arthur. And Percival is like, Arthur it is. And Percival smirks right back. I just... Listen, I've written about... I've talked about this scene at length on my Tumblr. I will link this post. It's just... Honestly, their interaction is major eye-fucking in that moment. I, <laughs> that's the only explanation I have for wor- for why... Percival makes makes this declaration of loyalty to Arthur, but then when he when he declares his loyalty, he does say your enemies are my enemies. Which, yes. if you have the background of Lancelot explaining that Senred's men killed Percival's entire village, that makes sense. But other than that, you it's don't know what why? Percival's. What, Percival is like, your enemies are my enemies, and I'm just like. What has Senra done to you? I I don't know anything about you. The only thing I can assume is because you showed up with Lancelot is that Lancelot has been waxing poetic about Arthur for however long you've known each other. And also, like, the line makes no sense because if you, even if you had him said, my enemies are your enemies, it would make more sense that you know he's talking about their connection being through Senred. But because he says, like... If you say to someone, your enemies are my enemies, the implication is, I'm fighting for you. For you. Not yeah. for a joint cause, yeah. I'm fighting yes. for you. Yes, so, exactly. If the line to say, my enemies are your enemies, it would have been better. But exactly. It's and it's just, and I'm just like, I mean, I can see it from Arthur's point of view. He's just like, cool, a big dude with lots of muscles brought in by Lancelot, he must be awesome, I'm gonna knight him right away. <laughs> but I just, from Percival's point of view, it just it doesn't make sense at all. Oh my god. Oh. Percival is like, best day of my life. I don't know why, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, 
Oh my god. But he just, just like he is the accidental knight. Like he just shows yeah. up and then he just does his knight S- thing same, and then same as Elian though. They they're both accidental knights. They did not they did not set out to become knights or even to be fighters. They just I happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is apparently something Elliot does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they get knighted before they can blink. <laughs> I already mentioned that there's enough, there's almost as much connection between Percival and Elliot as there is between Percival and Gwen. I feel like Elliot disses Gwen constantly, which either means they're secretly fucking. <laughs> it could be. Or. <laughs> Or they actually hate each other, which I don't oh. think is the case, because it's Gwen who uh, sees Elian in his chambers in Herald of a New Age yes. and goes in because he's concerned about, hey, Elian, are you alright? <laughs> Do you need something? Maybe another good fuck? <laughs> Those that we enjoy on the regular, and then we have to pretend like we don't like each other? No homo. <laughs> <laughs> no homo! <laughs> I want to say, at the start of Season 5, when Elia, uh, Gwen and Percival get captured by Morgana and then oh. are forced, forced to do slave work without their shirts on because apparently it's warm in those caves. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I I am very upset because Arthur mentions I sent Gwen to wherever it is to scout and we haven't heard from him in six weeks so I sent Elian to, to check up on him, but Elian came back without mention. And Percival is never even mentioned. You don't <laughs> even know Percival was with Gwen until you see them in the caves together. I'm just like, Arthur, what the fuck happened? <laughs> <laughs> Did you forget Percival is there? Were you afraid that you'd get an instant boner if you only mentioned Percival's name and that's why you omitted it? I'm just like, what? <laughs> Do people there... find Percival that attractive? I don't. <laughs> I mean, no, I he's not your type, Rocks. <laughs> At he is all. Rock's... No, he's the opposite of Rocks type. <laughs> what I do appreciate is that in that in that episode, he gets to be the one who frees the other knights, and and gets to be like the fourth fighter. For, for getting the other knights out of the caves. Like, he's the one at the front making plans, getting getting them more weapons and freeing them all. Because Gwen is off unconscious in another cave being seduced by a glowy alien. <laughs> um, so, you know, Percival has to do something, clearly, because Gwen's not coming back. <laughs> but even putting Percival in that situation would have given him a bit more screen time, like, and lines, you know? <laughs> yes! I'm, I, exactly, I'm like, why couldn't it have been Percival who meets the glowy alien? It could have easily been Percival, but no, it has to be, I mean, I appreciate Gwen content as much as the next person, obviously, but also, there was, there was no reason for it to be Gwen, it could have easily been Percival as well as well and would have given him a little more characterization would have shown him you know uh to to be observant because Gwen only goes off because he notices a light somewhere glowing and it's just I I really wish it would have been Percival in that scene rather than Gwen I can only assume that they made it Gwen because they might have thought that 
the people watching like from their homes on a Saturday night forgot who Percival was. <laughs> and they'd be like, who's this dude? Well, he doesn't even get mentioned as having gone on this errand with Gwen. So. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, oh, have they recast Gwen? <laughs> Where's Owen? <laughs> oh, my God. It's just... I'm the so, jokes so... are limitless. It's, <laughs> Unlike it's Percival's screen time. <laughs> yeah what he does get is a little more screen time um at the end of season five in um diamond of the day part one because he is the one who helps arthur plot the attack at kamlan apparently uh, percival knows the area and and he immediately knows what pass Arthur means when he shows a, points to a random spot <laughs> on the map. And Percival is like, that's Kamlan, sire. <laughs> and I'm just like, right. But then apparently Percival doesn't know the area well enough to know that there is another pass, another narrow pass that Morgana knows of, which she means to... to uh, sneak up on them and I'm just like I thought Percival was supposed to know the area what the fuck happened to that fake Camlan fan <laughs> Morgana <laughs> Morgana's the real fan <laughs> oh my god so we can conclude that Elian got a lot of screen time but no characterization Percival didn't get a lot of screen time and also not a lot of characterization other than he's the big strong one who's also occasionally joking around with everyone else. And yet, I mean, neither of them shows up much in fandom, but still, it's Percival who shows up the most out of the two in fandom. Like, his, his uh, when we get to the stats, uh, that will be um, obvious. He's He's got way more works dedicated, or like, featuring him than Elian does. And, I mean... I don't, you know, I don't want to accuse anyone in fandom. And there is a there is a a point to be made about Elian not getting that much characterization on on Merlin. But to be fair, neither of them gets much. Like I feel like their characterization is actually pretty much equal, except that Elian has more screen time in which not to be developed than Percival. And I just, I wonder why one of them gets preferred over the other. And I mean, there is an obvious answer, and I don't want to accuse anyone, but with a, with a black character, you always have to wonder whether it's about race or not. But um, for the sake of uh, peace, let's say it's not about race. But if it's not about race, then what is it about? Hmm, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, but okay. Yeah. I'm not just I'm not just talking about the show now. I'm also talking about fandom because oh, in fandom. fandom right, okay. Because in fandom, Elian also doesn't get much representation. I like, I think yeah. in my experience there's Mertur or Arwen fans that are like, okay, we have paired Mertur, Merlin and Arthur, so Gwen we can't ship him with Merlin, and then who can we ship Gwen with and they fall on Percival and that's why you have more per Wayne works because all the Merthur fanfics have per Wayne as a secondary pairing hmm. that's what and, I was going to say yeah 
Yeah, but that must be based mostly on their interaction in Diamond of the Day. Yeah. Because before that, so long as Elian is alive, you have as much a case for Percival and Elian as you have for Percival and Gwen. Yes, but I mean, Percival and Gwen also had the uh, Percival saving his life. And uh, I don't know. That's when I started shipping them. But yeah. But aliens, aliens saves Percival's life. Yeah. Alien saves Percival's lives. Percival saves Queen's yes. life. That's that's what I'm saying. You have, I mean, it's it's perfectly fine. Everyone, I'm I'm not attacking you. Obviously, I'm, you know, I everyone is allowed to ship whatever they want. But if you if you just look at canon interactions, there is. Almost as much Percival and Elian interaction as there is Percival and Gwen interaction. There is, apart from once Elian is dead and then Percival presumably turns more towards Gwen and then you have Diamond of the Day, uh, like you have you have the Dark Tower and then the episodes following that are very Gwen, Merlin, and Arthur centric. You don't really have the knights all that much. Or if Oreo, you have Mordred in them, and then you have Diamond of the Day, in which Percival and Ellie, uh, Percival and Gwen get more screen time again as as a duo. But it's just, yeah. I think I mean the point is not who Percival has more chemistry with, but the fact that Elian is uh, less developed than Gwen. I mean I think more people like Gwen, so they won't care about Elian, but they will care about Gwen. So it's it's less about finding a suitable match for Percival, it's more about finding a suitable match for Gwen. Oh, for yes, sure, I, I would mean, say, yeah. yeah. And okay. also, you have to remember that although, like, maybe Percival and Elian had more interactions, but, like, you know, the the... I would argue that the interactions that Gwen and Percival have, even in one episode in the finale, and the fact that it's Percival that is there when he dies, and he holds him yeah. when he I mean, dies, that, it yes. just outdoes any little interactions that Elian and Percival would have had in in the whole show. Like th- yeah. that, that is beautiful. You know, it's like really amazing, I and know. it's like I I don't think that it's um uh, like Moss said. I'm not sure it's necessarily about kind of you know um the amount of content. I think it's that kind of stuff is prime shipping material. And even yeah. me, that didn't I would agree. pay much attention to the knights because apart from Gwen and Lancelot, I didn't really care for me. Like, I mean, whatever. It's just like, like I was just focused on other things. But, yeah. um, you know, even I was a bit like, gay, you know, <laughs> so, which is my yeah. reaction when I watch Merlin most of the time, but like, especially in that sequence. And like yeah. you said, Moss, I think their interactions on Twitter definitely help. And also the fact that even in a blooper, you know, you have Tom leaning in to then yeah. kiss on <laughs> for reals. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, it's it's perfect for shipping, really. I think another big thing, and at least for what I read, <laughs> is uh, all the nights together. I mean, I've seen more fics mm-hmm. about Gwe- uh, Alien, where it's all the nights together mm-hmm. in a big uh, OT7, OT5, <laughs> then uh, Alien... You, what you mean is an orgy. Yes. <laughs> it was a, a tasteful way of see, saying... <laughs> we're, not, we're not tasteful on Merlison. <laughs> no. <laughs> the but... only one who has to, to be careful about the words she uses is Roxanne. <laughs> what, Moss, what is your impression of their... Like the characterization in fanfics. 
I think uh, Alien is very serious. I mean, uh, I don't think uh, he's shown as being more serious than the others in canon, but uh, somehow in Fix is uh, like uh, very level-headed and, uh, uh, well, <sighs> I think uh, fan fictions also tend to explore maybe more easy interactions with uh, other characters beside the knights and Arthur and Gwen, so maybe you can see Elian as being more friend with Merlin than he was in canon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Percival, uh, I think it varies a lot because uh, uh, there are some uh, writers that make him more serious or more um, focused on uh, the dramatic aspect of his life. Like, for instance, the fact that his family was murdered and uh, while others are like, uh, he's uh, funny and goes to bars and uh, have fun. But uh, also it depends on uh, which painting they're writing because if it's mm-hmm. for Wayne, you, you'll usually have uh, Gwen, which is the party goers and so Percival becomes the more uh, calm of the two. Mm-hmm. It sort of balances out Gwen's uh, outgoingness, and uh, but yeah, I mean it varies a lot. I think uh, there isn't such a um, canon definition of them, and so if you like them, you have uh, quite a difficulty finding writers that you love because. It can really vary a lot uh, their characterization. Yeah, I can I can definitely see a point for Percival being characterized as as quite shy, for yes. example. And then again, for Elian, I could definitely see him being characterized as someone like not exactly like a playboy or anything, but definitely someone who's who's smooth and you know, confident and and knows how to talk to people to get them to do what he wants. Like, one point I had in my notes for Elian is that he's definitely one of the more fashionable knights. Like, you see him wear, <laughs> like, the clothes he wears with the little, the little hood poncho, which apparently is very medieval. Like, that's actually accurate to what people wore. In, in the Middle Ages, then you have the the leather bracelet that he wears. I'm just like Elian is Elian is a fashion model. Elian mm-hmm. Elian is the fashionable knight of Camelot, and so I I could see this translated into you know confidence and uh you know just just knowing how to talk to people and then depending on who you ship him with you know. Um, how he how he talks to people and how confident he is in his um, sexual prowess, maybe <laughs> you know, quite quite experienced, and also the the kind of character who who travels a lot, who's seen the world, who um, is sort of wise in a way because he's just seen and experienced many things. Not in the same way that Gwen and Lancelot have, because I feel like I mean both Gwen and Lancelot also traveled a lot, 
but Gwen did it mostly because he didn't have a home or didn't feel like he had a home and was looking for like meaning for his life pretty much and Lancelot was a refugee. Looking... <laughs> yeah. Lancelot is yeah, a refugee and also looking for meaning for his life and just to to improve himself while Elian just we don't actually know why Elian left uh Camelot. Maybe he had a fight with his father, maybe he just wanted to see the world, but I feel like Elian is is one of these one of these types who just one day decides, well, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and see the world and you're not gonna stop me. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I think um, it came to my mind right now, but um Percival is used a lot. Uh, if you remember in season five the famous line line, I'm twice the size of you. So in fix <laughs> there is a lot of if you have a size kink, I mean Percival mm. is the character. So I mean mm. uh, there is uh, a lot of fun works uh, about that. So I think uh, that's also why he's more popular than Alien, maybe <laughs> because if you have a kink, uh, you can use him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. I feel like though, Percival, like you kind of completely said it in one. Moss earlier on I think it was you that said he is the gentle giant trope and Mm -hmm. I don't because I um I'll be honest the majority of the fic that I read uh is a fic that was still published quite a while ago and I I'm I'm not really caught up on what's being written right now but um I kind of just like Momo tells me things so I just (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome yeah but um I imagine yeah like I didn't you once, Momo, want to write him into a fic as being like a shopkeeper or something? Like, he's literally, yeah, that, like, huge guy who'll, like, go and help an old lady across the street and be like, oh, hello, madam, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. And just really sweet. And not much of a lad, I feel. He doesn't he doesn't strike me as a lad in canon, and I doubt he's much of a lad in fanon, but maybe you guys can correct me on that. But oh. I'm pretty sure I did write him into a fic as a shopkeeper. Um, at some point, although I will admit that I don't exactly remember what he ended up doing in that particular um, AU that I wrote him into for that. Um, I know that he's married to Gwen and they have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so There's also the famous uh, florist uh, and uh, tattoo shop uh, AU. There is oh, a Gwen yeah. version and Percival is the florist. So, I mean, you can see him all big and uh, yeah. surrounded by flowers. It's very... Yeah. I th- I feel like if I wrote him into a shop, then probably he would be... He would be something soft like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like a village shop. You were telling me you needed someone yeah. for a village shop, like, character. Yeah. Um, yeah. He basically... I've just realized Percival is basically Chris Evans, but <laughs> in... Uh, like, he only, is... Like, only softer. Yeah. A bit, softer. A, bit, a bit softer. Like... Chris Evans has definitely got a bit of a, a bit of dude in him, or a lot of dude in him, depending on you know who buys him a drink. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> oh. but um, yeah, he you know he has a bit of the Bostonian, you know, what are you talking about, you know. But I feel like uh, per, like it's that kind of trope of the big guy that's uh, 
demolishing toxic masculinity one day at a time you know <laughs> like he's yeah. just doing everything yeah. in his power to exactly demolish that trope by opening a flower shop and you know uh crying during disney movies and all this kind of stuff yeah exactly so in fact that's... yeah it's kind of beautiful it's really sweet <laughs> yeah that's yeah i can kind of because like with elian i can kind of like you know with like what you were saying Momo, like with the with the hoodie and stuff, I can kind of maybe imagine him being like uh like a um like a designer or something like that, maybe working in or like working in like a high end kind of fashion store or something. And yeah, and then Percival's just kind of, you know, wearing a wearing a plaid shirt that's too tight and he's a librarian, you know. <laughs> and also since uh, if you put the uh, fashionable with the fact that he had a forge, maybe he could be a jewelry um, designer or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I like all 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 of this. Honestly, it's just I I yeah. Percival as the as the soft boy, and uh, Elian as the fashionable dude who knows the world somehow. It's I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, I have the the statistics in front of me, and Moss probably has a relatively good idea because you actually read stories about at least Percival. Yes. Um, but any guesses as to who are their most popular love interests? I'd say Percival, Wayne, and Delian mm-hmm. Percival. Okay. Yes, it's uh, for Elian, it's definitely Percival, and for Percival, it is definitely Gwen. And the other. The other ships for Elian are actually like Elian and Percival has forty eight works. Yeah, but that's sad because uh, I know from experience that they are not the main pairing in most of them. So it's like I th- I, th- I think I actually no I didn't exclude Martha from this I I did yeah I kept this is actually the number of works that they are in but they are not necessarily the main pairing. Yeah. And um. Then the next one for Elian would be Merlin. Oh. It's Elian Merlin with 41 works. And then it makes a big jump down to 60 works. 16 for Elian and Gwen. And after that is Elian and Arthur. And after that is one that you will never guess, except for Rox, who is actually looking at the script for a change. Oh, it's Elian and Gwen? No. Oh. It's Elian and Vivian. Oh. <laughs> With 13 works. Elian and Gwen actually only has six works. Oh. Yeah. There's not there's not that much incest for them. And Percival, like you said, it's Gwen Percival with 576 works. Which is now eight more works than when I checked the stats for the Gwen episode. <laughs> so between researching uh, Gwen ships... For the Gwen episode a couple of months ago at this point, and now there are eight works more. Meanwhile, Mirtha works are probably 800 more. Yes. <laughs> in the same amount of time. Um, second biggest one is Merlin and Percival with 148. Then it's Arthur and Percival with 65. Leon and Percival with 52, which actually surprised me. I know I joked about it earlier. 
that they talk to each other once and now people ship it. But I was actually surprised that they are, that they have that many works about them. And for Ellie and Percival was the biggest ship, but for Percival, the Ellie and Percival is actually the fifth biggest ship for Percival with the 48 works. So. Yes, I mean, I, I think this uh, is really about, I mean, uh, Percival and Merlin and Percival and Arthur don't have that much screen time, but I mean, people love Merlin and Arthur so much that they will ship them with anyone Percival just because, yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree, I agree. It might be interesting to some people that there are almost 1,800 works tagged with Elian the character tag and over 2,600 works tag with Percival as a character tag. Percival gets many more works in Elian, um, just by, by being included as a character. Like I didn't exclude any, any pairings from this. This is literally just them being tagged as a character and Percival shows up in, in almost 800 more works than Elian does. Even though, you know, they are yeah. probably about the same as far as character development goes, and Elian has actually more screen time than Percival. Ah, uh, well, we all draw our own conclusions as to why that is. We are actually now at the part where we do Rex, so Moss, do you want to start? Uh, okay, I have... um series of uh, one-shots that are about uh, Knights and Merlin by Timed Fire, Fire, Timed Fire, <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, there are, um, she's going to, they're going to post uh, fictions about uh, every knight plus Merlin as friends. And she already has one about Percival and one about Elian, so you can go read them. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one is an art rack because the Merlin Brothers and the Artist Telephone Game had uh, one round with uh, Percival and Elian. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's uh, not safe for work, but it's just like mm, it's very nakedness. Cute. It's not uh, explicit. Yes. Explicit is uh, no. They're I naked. Think the... Yeah, okay. I think the prompt was like striptease yes. or something. Yes. And yeah, that that was that was part of my Rex as well. Oh. <laughs> I definitely yeah, no, definitely everyone should check those out. Yes. Um should I just go? Yeah, go for it. Alright. So I have I have a couple of Rex. The first one is uh, a fic called The Pact, written by Zamiazas, and there's also a remix called The Roommate. A Gentleman's Arrangement Remix by um, Isabair. And it's a Merlin Elian story with a shy, inexperienced Merlin. And the pact, the first story, is about Merlin overcoming his fears and starting on the more physical path of his relationship with Elian. And it's from Merlin's point of view. And the remix is a little longer and spans from before they get together until several years after um the the setting of the first story and it's from Elian's point of view and it's overall about 4000 words long it's rated mature and the only 
well not downside to it but the only like um thing that popped out to me is the whole roommate situation because it's like uh, they're like college roommates but that's not actually a thing in britain <laughs> as far as i know no. <laughs> so if you if you ignore this little detail and just assume that they live together in a one bedroom flat somewhere then then it's still then it works out perfectly so that's the that's the first one the second one is called glitter and gloss was written by Fuzzy Tomato. It's a Merlin slash Percival story. And in this story, Merlin uses Percival as a fake boyfriend in a club to get rid of Valiant. And then misunder- then some misunderstandings happen and Merlin-, Merlin is basically convinced that Percival is actually straight. But Percival is quietly pining for Merlin mm-hmm. this entire time. And uh, they figure it out in the end. And it's it's a really cute fic. With some angst and some pining and some misunderstandings and in the end you have some porn <laughs> so it all works out and it's about 11.5k long so 11,500 words approximately rated explicit because of aforementioned porn and then I have one self-wreck today uh, the story is called Nastortium it's a Freya slash Percival story it's Actually, a little more Freya-centric, to be fair. But in it, you have a genderqueer Percival, who's a gentle giant. <laughs> like, I definitely used the trope in there. And uh, Percival is genderqueer, uses gender-neutral pronouns. And uh, Freya learns to to trust them after after a while. And it's about 100... Uh, about 1500 words long it's rated teen but it does reference past sexual abuse although not explicitly so if this is something that bothers you don't read it I won't be offended also if you don't want to read it in general I won't be offended I just wanted to put it out there and my last fic wreck is a story called All My Sons was written by Polo Monkey it's an alien centric gen fic it's a missing scene from Sword in the Stone in which Elian feels guilty for not coming back before his father died. And then also Gaius feels guilty for letting so many children die and for letting Morgana become what she became. And then they sort of comfort each other as substitute father and son. So it's a, it's a parental sort of uh, dynamic going on between those two. It's about uh, one... K, as I said, it said rated gen. Then I also have an art wreck, and this is an artist called Calamity Annie on Tumblr. And they did a series of drawings of Merlin with the knights. This is not the one, no, you you had fanfics that you wrecked, right? Yes, Moss? it was yes. Uh, fanfics. Yes, okay, so I, I have... I know what I you're ha- talking about. They're yeah. super cute, adorable. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, this is Calamity Annie, a fan artist on Tumblr, and they are doing a series of drawings, or they did a series of drawings of Merlin with uh, the knights, and there's one of Merlin with Elian, where they uh, where Elian helps Merlin do laundry, and there's one of Merlin with Percival, where Merlin rides on Percival's shoulders. 
which is super like both of them are super cute all of them are actually super cute but especially modern writing on percival's shoulders is just it's just sweetness yes and then i have also fanvid rex i have one for alien actually i have one for percival first this is called percival's lament was vetted by parva sylvie and it's a sad Purvane instrumental video during which Percival is at Gwen's funeral and he thinks about the good times they had together. So if you want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and also if you want to believe that Gwen actually died, <laughs> go and watch this video. But of course it's not real because Gwen never died. And my alien fan with Rec is called Breath of Life was vetted by Black's Goddaughter, Black's Goddaughter, and it's an alien Morgana AU, and in which they had, like, they met before Elian comes back to Camelot, and they started a love affair during that time, and then they continue this affair after Elian is knighted, and Arthur, like, Elian is convinced by Morgana that Arthur actually has to die, so he attempts to kill Arthur, and then Arthur kills Elian in return. And then Morgana brings him back to life right after, and sends Elian to kill Arthur again. And this time, Elian actually succeeds. And in the meantime, Morgana kills Gwen. So this this fi- this video ends with Morgana and Elian winning and being able to be together and to rule Camelot together. So. Go watch that. It's actually pretty <laughs> cool. Like, it's actually well made. I I was like, you know what? If I weren't so fundamentally against Arthur dying, this would actually be really awesome. <laughs> uh, I have a few recs. Uh, they're all videos as well. Uh, the first one I have is an Elian vid, and it's uh, based on A Herald of a New Age. It focuses on the episode in general, but mostly on Elian, and it's uh, by Echo... Uh, sorry, it's To Echo by Jason Walker, and it's really great. It's really well made. The editing style is gorgeous, and, yeah, it's just about, you know, that story and Eliane's, you know, kind of part in it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the second Eliane one I have is an Eliane and Sifa AU in which... Interesting. Yeah, in which, uh, you know, Gwen's whole, like, oh, is there someone you can't talk about thing is actually about... Eliane and um, uh, there's there uh, it shows them kind of you know lying to people and sneaking around and then Sifa uh, still gets found out for treason. Um, I think I'm I can't remember like the way it's edited. I can't figure out if uh, she's done for treason because of being with Eliane or if it's because of the father thing. Like I like I like I'd have to rewatch it. But then uh, she's in the dungeon and Eliane breaks her out and uh, they run away from the dungeon so yeah it's really good though you guys should go watch it and then i have a percival video that's percival and elena uh which i think i think tom and georgia like worked together on another project which is probably where that comes from but um it's really cool like it's got some really really cool effects in it and um it has a really funny ending from like uh a clip of them in a show or a film or, or like, I assume it's a show that they were in together and it's really, really funny. Um, it's so weird hearing Tom speak. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, and then he actually does have, he actually, I know there, there was a joke about, 
um, where he was asked at the convention what his favorite line was, and he said like, "Yes, sire." Yeah. But he actually he does have lines other than than just agreeing. It's just that there are not many, but he does have no, other know, lines. But... <laughs> just, but they're not many. Like they're definitely not memorable lines. No. <laughs> um, and then my final vidrec is, and I swear this is a coincidence. <laughs> Because when I was part of the collab group called uh, Two Sides Studios, we made uh, leading up to season four, I think it was, we made a collection of character based vids that were like short and we um, made one for the nights and it was to We Roll Rock You. (laughs) (laughs) And I promise that this is a cool. It's not me trying to bring up bow rap again. I deliberately (laughs) stopped myself earlier from saying that the character character bites the dust because I'm just like, no, (laughs) I'm not inviting another one bites the dust. Yeah, that is the the story of the nice one. This one is still We Will Rock You. And I vidded uh, the Gwen part and I had the beginning, which was um, the first verse, like, you know, going to be a big man someday. You've got uh mud on your face and uh then we had but the reason why i chose this was because we have like each night like each vidder got assigned a night and i think we had actually two vidders per night so um you have some elian specific parts and then you have percival specific parts and so you have like two parts uh per night and they're in different parts of the vid so uh it was kind of the only personal content I could find <laughs> and I remembered that that was it I didn't vid personal I, uh, I vided Gwen but they're in there both of them in one vid so you know that's kind of the ultimate wreck for this uh this segment <laughs> the Eliana and Percival situation but yes I do apologize for managing to bring it back to Queen once more I am <laughs> wearing a Queen t-shirt as we speak so <laughs> I yeah. had Killer Queen in my head uh, this morning. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's all of my recs. And uh, go watch all the vids, read all the fic. And uh, yeah, I have like a whole new, like, because I already kind of did love Percival. Like, like I'm not going to lie, like, I'm never going to be hugely interested in Eliane, but that's mostly the fault of the show, not the fault of, you know, the fact that, you know, he's there as a character. I'm just like, I, I just don't care. But Percival, I kind of, I'm really like just thinking of like yeah that gentle giant like smashing toxic masculinity trope with his strength <laughs> yeah, like i love it yeah is, i think um he's a gentle giant but sometimes he does kick ass i mean when he's when uh alien is uh, possessed he doesn't have any problem problems punching him so yeah he's gentle but he can always punches when he I mean, needs to. He only punches him because it's like the the gentlest way any of them can think yeah. of to <laughs> knock him out without actually injuring him long term. <laughs> like that's the only reason he punches him. Yeah. It's just like you need to stop and we need to <laughs> we need to make you stop moving. So oh this God. is what we're going to do now. I came out of the ocean because you need to stop. <laughs> the... Isn't the Merlin version, I came out of the lake? <laughs> <laughs> I came out of the lake. Like, yes, it literally is like, yeah, oh my God, that is fucking perfect. Like, when Arthur comes back to, like, you know, save the world, 
when it's when climate change is taken over everything and we're all at war with each other he'll be like i came out of the lake because you need to stop <laughs> it's just, um but percival uh reminds yeah but from what you said moss like with the whole like he can actually kick ass it reminds me earlier on i mentioned mulan and it's like chempo like the big guy in mulan oh yes yes but he, like, he is percival but then there's that one moment and for the oh fuck i can't even remember what part of the movie it is but there's one bit where they can't like shift oh no i know what it is like they're trying to pull mulan and mushu up from that gorge mm-hmm. and like he just walks up and gently just picks them up and <laughs> moves back and that's basically him he's like yeah. i don't want to get involved but i will <laughs> and now yeah. yeah now it's making me love him even more <laughs> oh, yeah. well done you, you actually got me engaged in person <laughs> 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 amazing <Team> percival <laughs> Well, it's better than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So I think that's that's all we had to say for now about these boys, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. So thank you everyone for for listening to us talk about Elian and Percival. If you have more input, if you have more more explanations about all the questions we had. <laughs> Uh, feel feel free to leave us comments. We told you where to find us, and we hope to hear from all of you. And I just want to quickly give credit to Sidesteppings who composed our Merlin theme music, and to Freesound.org where we got the music for our new section, which you heard for the first time today. And yeah, our guest was Moss. Thank you for coming on the show, Moss. It was great talking to you and hearing your thoughts about Percival and also Elian. Thank you for having me. Ah, you're more than welcome. It was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and in two weeks' time, we are going to come back with a new episode of Melissa. And we are going to review the 12th episode of season one, which is To Kill the King. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> And until then, I'm Momotastic. And I'm a Snowfox. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.